epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light On today's A Light on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Two Years in the Forbidden City by Princess De Lin. Today, Ma Lin narrates the second part of the 14th chapter titled The Emperor's Birthday. In this part, we get a glimpse into life behind the curtain and learn how Cixi viewed herself as a girl, a woman, a concubine, and a seemingly almighty ruler. A story told in her own words is personal and sad. This makes it easier for readers to empathize with a woman knowing Chinese history as power-hungry, indomitable, cruel, selfish, and inhuman. On the morning of the seventh day of the seventh moon, Her Majesty visited the late Empress Tablet and knelt there crying for quite a while. In order to show respect for the late emperor, none of us were allowed to eat meat for three days. This being my first year at the palace, it appeared to me very strange after the customary gaiety and noise. Of course, I felt very sorry for Her Majesty, as I could see that it was a genuine display of grief and was not in any way put on. As I was her favorite at that time, she kept me close to her side during this sad period. The young empress said to me one day, Her Majesty is very much attached to you, and I think you had better stay with her for the time being. This I did, and I was so miserable myself that when Her Majesty commenced crying, I would cry also. When she saw that I was crying, Her Majesty would immediately stop and ask me not to cry. She would tell me that I was too young to cry, and that in any case, I did not know what real sorrow was as yet. During the conversations we had at that time, she would tell me quite a lot about herself. On one occasion, she said, You know, I have had a very hard life ever since I was a young girl. I was not a bit happy when with my parents, as I was not the favorite. My sisters had everything they wanted, while I was, to a great extent, ignored altogether. When I first came to the court, a lot of the people were jealous of me because I was considered to be a beautiful woman at that time. I must say myself that I was a clever one, for I fought my own battles and won them too. When I arrived at court, the late emperor became very much attached to me and would hardly glance at any of the other ladies. Fortunately, I was lucky in giving birth to a son, and it made me the emperor's undisputed favorite. But after that, I had very bad luck. 
During the last year of his reign, the emperor was seized with a sudden illness. In addition to this, the foreign soldiers burned down the palace at Yuanmingyuan. So we fled to Jieho. Of course, everybody knows what took place at that time. I was still a young woman with a dying husband and a young son. The East Empress Dowager's nephew was a bad man who coveted the throne, which he had no right to, in any event, as he was not of royal blood. I would not wish anyone to experience what I myself passed through at that time. When the emperor was in a dying condition, being practically unconscious of what was taking place around him, I took my son to his bedside and asked him what was going to be done about his successor to the throne. He made no reply to this. But as has always been the case in emergencies, I was equal to the occasion and I said to him, Here is your son. On hearing which, he immediately opened his eyes and said, Of course, he will succeed to the throne. I naturally felt relieved when this was settled once and for all. These words were practically the last he spoke, for he died immediately afterwards. Although it is now so many years ago, I can see him now in that dying condition, just as though it all happened only yesterday. I thought that I could be happy with my son as the Emperor Tongzhi, but unfortunately he died before he was 20 years of age. Since that time, I have been a changed woman, as all happiness was over as far as I was concerned when he died. I had also quite a lot of trouble with the East Empress Dowager and found it very difficult to keep on good terms with her. However, she died five years after the death of my son. In addition to all this, when the Emperor Quanxi was brought to me as a baby three years old, he was a very sickly child and could hardly walk. He was so thin and weak. His parents seemed to be afraid of giving him anything to eat. You know, his father was Prince Chum and his mother was my sister, so... Of course, he was almost the same as my own son. In fact, I adopted him as such. Even now, after all my trouble on his account, he is not in perfect health. As you know, I have had plenty of other troubles besides these, but um, it, is, it is useless to mention them now. I am disappointed with everything, as nothing had turned out as I had expected. With this remark, Her Majesty commenced crying afresh, continuing. She said, People seem to think that just because I am the Empress Dowager that I am bound to be happy. But what I have just told you is not all. I have gone through much more than that. If ever anything went wrong, I was always the one who was blamed. The censors even dared to impeach me once in a while. However, I am philosopher enough to take things for what they are worth. Otherwise, I would have been in my own grave long, long ago. 
Just imagine how small-minded these people are. Amongst other things, they objected to my transferring my court to the summer palace during the hot weather, although I could do no harm by being there. Even in the short time you have spent at court, you can see that I'm unable to decide anything alone, while whenever they want anything, they consult with each other and then present their petition to me, which, unless it is something of a very serious nature, I never think of refusing. After the time set apart for mourning, had expired. We all went back to the summer palace, where Miss Carl recommenced her work on Her Majesty's portrait. Her Majesty apparently soon got tired of this portrait painting, for one day she asked me when I thought it would be finished. She was afraid that it would not be finished by the time the cold weather came on, when we always removed the court to the Forbidden City, and she said it would be a lot of trouble and inconvenience to have to continue the portrait there. Ever wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people. I told Her Majesty that it could easily be arranged and that she need not worry herself. After I had been posing in Her Majesty's place for several days, her Majesty asked me whether Miss Carl had said anything about it, and if she did, I was to inform her that it was a command from Her Majesty and that I dare not make any further suggestions in that respect. So we had no further trouble with Miss Carl after that. I had, however, quite a lot of trouble with the eunuchs, who, in spite of Her Majesty's instructions, were anything but polite to Miss Carl. Of course, Miss Carl herself did not know this. I tried to make them behave better by threatening to tell Her Majesty about them, which had a good effect for a while, but they were soon as bad as ever. At the commencement of the eighth moon, Her Majesty always attended to the transplanting of her chrysanthemums, which was one of her favorite flowers, so each day she would take us with her to the west side of the lake and, assisted by us, would cut the tops of the young plants and set them in flower pots. I was very much surprised at this, as there were no roots, only the stems of the flowers, but Her Majesty assured me that they would soon grow into very pretty plants. Every day we went over to water these flowers until they began to bud. In case it rained heavily, Her Majesty would order some of the eunuchs to go over and cover up these chrysanthemum plants with mats so that they would not be broken. It was characteristic of Her Majesty that no matter what other business she had to attend to, her flowers had her first consideration, and she would, if necessary, even go without her usual rest in order to superintend them personally. She also spent quite a time in looking after her orchard, 
where she had planted apple trees, pear trees, etc. Another thing which I began to notice was that when the spring and summer days had passed, she got quite irritable and sad, while in the winter she was simply unbearable. She loathed cold weather. One day, during the eighth moon, Her Majesty was taken slightly ill and complained of suffering from severe headaches. This was the only time I ever saw Her Majesty actually sick. She, however, got up as usual in the morning and held audience, but was unable to take her lunching and very soon had to retire to her bed. Several doctors were summoned, each of whom took her pulse. This was quite a ceremony in itself. The doctors knelt at the bedside, and Her Majesty stretched forth her arm, resting her hand upon the small pillow which was provided for that purpose. After this, each doctor wrote out his prescription, all of which were different from each other. We handed them to Her Majesty, who chose the one which she thought was the nicest to take, and two attendants and the doctor himself had to take a dose in her presence before she would touch it. Then she would take it all right. During this time, it rained a great deal and was very hot. The climate at this time of the year is very damp, which causes the flies to make their appearance in millions. If there was one thing more than another that Her Majesty detested, it was these flies. During the actual summer, they were not so troublesome as at this particular time. Of course, every precaution was taken to keep them away, a eunuch being posted at each door, provided with sort of a switch made of horse hair fastened at the end of a bamboo pole. We were never troubled by mosquitoes, however. In fact, I never saw a mosquito curtain in the palace during the whole of my stay there. These flies were an abomination, and in spite of all that could be done, a few would find their way into the rooms. Whenever they alighted on Her Majesty, she would scream, while if by any chance one were to alight on her food, she would order the whole lot to be thrown away. This would spoil her appetite for the whole day and put her into a terrible temper as well. Whenever she saw one anywhere near her, she would order whoever happened to be present to go and catch it. I myself often received this order, but I detested them almost as much as Her Majesty did. They were so dirty and stuck to one's hands whenever they touched them. After her illness, Her Majesty was indisposed, more or less, for quite a long time, and doctors were constantly in attendance. She took so many different kinds of medicine that instead of getting better, she got worse and eventually contracted a fever. Her Majesty was very much afraid of fevers of any kind, and we had to stay with her all night and all day and had to take our meals whenever we could get away from her bedside for a few minutes. Another peculiarity was Her Majesty's aversion for any kind of perfume near her when she was sick, while when she was feeling well, she was simply smothered in it. 
The same applied to fresh flowers. In spite of her love for them under ordinary conditions, when she was sick, she could not bear them anywhere near. Her nerves became absolutely unstrung, as she was unable to sleep during the day, and consequently, the time passed very slowly to her. In order to make the time pass a little less tediously, she gave instructions for one of the better educated eunuchs to read to her during the daytime. This reading generally consisted of ancient Chinese history, poetry, and all kinds of Chinese law. And while the eunuch was reading to her, we had to stand by her bedside. One of us being told off to massage her legs. Which seemed to soothe her somewhat. This same program was gone through every day until she was completely herself again. Some ten days later. And that was from the fourteenth chapter of Two Years in the Forbidden City, written by Princess Sterling and narrated by Man Ling. Join us next time on a light on literature for the final part of the chapter.
wondered what sets China apart from the rest of the world? Do you want to know how China really works? How is China of the past different from the present? Get all the answers to your questions by visiting China Plus Audiobooks. Access a whole new world of audiobooks on our website at chinaplus.cri.cn slash podcast. Explore the philosophy, spirit, and story of the Chinese people.